So, last week, um, we, we talked about it, identity. That means, who do you think you are? That was the title of the message. Who do you think you are? It was wrongly uploaded on the website as, who do you think I am? Kind of like, hey, who do you think I am? You know? I'm like, no, 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 change it quick. Okay, who do you think you are? As in, uh, who you think you are is how you're going to live. It's how you're going to behave. Your deep belief about your value, your worth, what satisfies you, your purpose, the things that you love, uh, the things that you kind of live for, all of that is going to define the way you live. And so in the New Testament, there's this massive theme of Jesus going, I want to define who you are because out of that you will then be. Uh, and you will act, and you will behave, and everything of how you behave flows out of who you are, okay? So have, that, we, we covered that ground last week quite a lot. Um, I remember the old analogy of the circus elephant, you know, that little, the little elephant who came into the circus when it was just a small calf. I don't know, what do you call an elephant? Baby elephant, yeah. Okay, um, Dumbo. And the little baby elephant, in, and he's tied, you know, around its ankle to a peg in the ground. And that peg is able to hold the baby elephant, you know. And all its life, it's trained and it's, it's you know, whipped and shouted at. And, you know, this is, we're talking about old, ugly Russian circuses kind of thing. I'm sure they're much better today. Anyway, this poor elephant is, you know, uh, is treated badly and, and, it, and it never can get away from this peg in the ground. Eventually, when this elephant grows up, um, and I, I believe this is actually rare happened. Eventually when this elephant grows up, it's still stuck with like a small string to a peg in the ground, but it believes that it cannot break free. It doesn't even try anymore because even though it has changed completely, even though it has a new identity as a massive, you know, adult, powerful elephant with wisdom and, you know, that they obviously very clever animals and all of that, yet because of its deep belief that it'll never break through, because of the slavery that it's been in all its life, that became the identity, and so it doesn't even try. And, if, and a tiny peg in the ground with a string around its ankle is willing to hold it. And so who we believe we are, who we've grown up believing we are, has a massive hold over our whole futures. And God wants to change that. And so Jesus, when he saves us, he doesn't just save us and say, hey, I'm going to save you from hell for eternity and put you in heaven for eternity. Like, here's your ticket. It's no, salvation is so much more than that. I mean, if that's all it was, it would still be incredible and more than we deserve. It's amazing. But it's so much more than that. It's Jesus going, I want to restore your whole identity. I want to teach you and show you who you are from now on so that you can then be who you're supposed to be. Because and the and the, the the title here I suppose this week would be um, who do you think you are week two no um, would be uh, would be um, being in Christ to be in Christ so this is the fr- the key phrase that we're going to look at and it's in the New Testament over two hundred times it talks about being in Christ or in the beloved or or in Him or in Jesus in our Lord variations of it over two hundred times and so you know we call ourselves Christians. Um, because that title is given a couple of times in the New Testament, but probably it would be more accurate if we thought like Paul to go, I'm in Christ. Not just I'm a Christian, but I'm in Christ. And it's, it would be great for us to start to think like that. If people say, you know, what do you believe? What's your religion? What faith do you follow or whatever? Just go, I'm in Christ. Not just I'm a Christian. I'm in Him because that means so much. And we're going we're gonna to get into what that means. Some of you are still giving me blank stares like, 
Sounds cool. It's just repeating in Christ all the time, but what does that actually mean? So identity, last week we covered a few things. Identity, here's the big point. Identity is not something you have to discover. You don't have to go on a journey of self-discovery, a journey of looking inward to find out who you are. Reading self-help books or going to the gurus or going on some travel journey to find yourself. No, no, you're just going to lose yourself even more. You're going to get completely lost if that's how you try and find yourself. No, no, we've got a creator that has spoken who we are from the very beginning. It was never a mystery. And if we go to him, he'll tell us exactly who we are. And if we spend the rest of our lives lining up with that, you will do well. Okay, so it's not a mystery. Looking inward is depressing, guys. Doesn't matter who you are, even if you've got abs like Clint, looking inward is depressing, you know. Uh, even if you're successful, even if you've got all these outward things to show or whatever, you know, you think makes you awesome. Looking, the more we look inward, the more you're just going to go on this journey of seeing a whole lot of failing, a whole lot of bad stuff. You know, at first you'll think you're awesome and then, but later down the line, you'll realize there's just no meaning and you'll go around and around the mountain. You'll climb up the ladder and you'll realize you climbed up the wrong building and it was all meaningless. No, just go to your creator. Go to the designer. Find out your identity. Secondly, we spoke about how this identity was lost. Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They said, we want to do it our way. You know, echoing through the halls of my house with with four young children is this. Samuel, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> I just hear it, you know, shouted many times. Caleb, you're not the boss of me. Like the, um, or whatever. There's this rebellion inside of us, you know. Or come, let me help you. No, I can do it myself. You know, and that's kind of, you know, that was the attitude of Adam and Eve from, from the beginning. They said, no, I can do it myself. I can define myself. I want to be God. The devil said, you can be like God. They're like, that sounds sweet. I'm going to be like God. And they go on this horrible, and it's a mess. And they find themselves insecure, running around, desperately trying to cover themselves with fig leaves and trying to, just to try and, you know, find some sense of worth and dignity and value because it's all lost because they separated from their creator by sin. And that's the picture of someone that doesn't know who they are. And we still see a lot of people like that today. All of us were like that at some point. Okay, but we've been created, but... um Yeah, and so unfortunately, people still do this. They still find their identity in many things. Remember, we went through identity idols. You know, you find your identity in items. That's the eye of idols. In stuff, you find your identity in um, duties, in the things we do, in performance, in achievements, in how well I do. Very easy, even in ministry, even in church. We find our identity in others, what others say, what others think, what others even how they look at us when they walk past us can define like the rest of our week sometimes, whether it's, you know, the boy or the girl that's next to you or by your side, you know, at any point in time. And then there's another one, then there's another one, then there's another one because you're just desperately trying to find some sense of worth in someone, maybe parents or pastors, others, then longings. That's the L of idols. We find our identity in what we long for in our dreams and what we hope to get to and be one day. The dream job, the dream career, you know, the dream travel destination, the dream family picture of what it's all going to look like. And it's going to be so beautiful. You know, the dream retirement, whatever it is, we can find it in our longings and in the future, never living in the moment defined by Jesus over us right now. And then the S is sin or suffering. We can be defined by our past, by past failures or by 
the failures of others towards us and what's been done to us. And we, and we can find all these identity idols. So people still struggling with fig leaves, basically, to cover their nakedness and find some sort of identity. But as I said earlier, salvation is a restoring of identity in Christ. I'm going to say it again. Okay, so here's the deal. Okay, this is why Paul spoke about this a lot. Um, there's this thing in, in theology, it's known as the beautiful exchange or the great exchange. Many people sing about it and it's, it's this idea that we have exchanged all of who we are for all of who Christ is. And at one point in time, Christ took everything of we, who we are, all our sin and our failure, and he put it on himself, and he now gives us all of his righteousness. So it's not just that we are declared righteous, but we are given his righteousness, is the idea. It's not just that we are, um, you know, loved, but we are loved like the Father loves Christ, because we're in him. We now have his identity, okay? And so I want to read a scripture on this. This is probably one of the best descriptions of this in 2 Corinthians 5. Let's turn there. Verse 17 to 19. Just look on the board with me. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hey, remember, Christianity is all about, it's not telling the pig, you need to be more like a bird. You need to behave more like a bird. You need to sing like a bird. You need to fly like a bird. You need to stop, you know, wallowing in the mud and go dance in little bird baths. You need to be like a bird. And fly around and be free. And, and the poor pig is like trying to do everything it can. But it's a pig. It'll never be a bird. Christianity is not that. It's not saying try harder. Be more. You can be, you know, more than you are. You can be better. No, Christianity is you are a new creation. You are changed from a pig into a bird. Now think like a bird and get your mind renewed and get to know who you actually are. And stop wallowing in the mud and stop eating the slops and actually start flying free. And that's the journey we go on. Okay, so it's a new creation. What in Christ? We are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's a big word again, reconciliation or being reconciled. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, the gospel message, another way of talking about the good news is this word reconciliation. Now, in our understanding, to reconcile very often means, you know, two parties that are at odds and you kind of get them to agree a little bit together again. But they might not necessarily like each other or do well together, but at least they're reconciled. Or reconcile means to just take two things that are separate and like put it together again. Now, theologically, in the Bible, reconciled means to take someone who is an enemy of God, an object of his wrath, and turn them into a friend of God, one who has his favor and delight and love. It's, that's what it is to be reconciled to God. It's now I have peace with God. And peace is, we, I've got his favor, I stand in his grace. It's this beautiful um, reconciliation. But you ask, but how can this happen? How can, you know, if you're thinking about it, you would ask, but how can God do that? How can he just not count our trespasses against us? How can he just wipe the slate clean? Like, how can he do that? That's unfair. That's not just. A good, just God wouldn't just wipe slates clean. You'd punish sin. You'd be just, wouldn't he? And we know this in the gospel. Hopefully most of us. And then, it, so we jump down to verse 21. The reason we, he cannot count our trespasses against us is because of this. For our sake, he made him to be sin 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so just hold that. That is the great exchange I was talking about earlier. That is where Christ was made to be sin. The one who had knew no sin, the one who was perfect, the one who lived perfectly for 30 years, facing every kind of temptation we would ever face. He made it perfectly. He obeyed the Father perfectly. He pleased the Father perfectly. He was absolutely righteous and good. And not to mention for eternity past, that's who he was as well. Perfectly submitted, perfectly obedient, perfectly faithful, perfectly delighting and loving his Father. And it says this, this one was made to be sin. For that moment on the cross, everything of who we were, what we deserved was placed onto him. Everything of who he is, his perfect righteousness, obedience, all of that faithfulness has been now put into us because we've been united with Christ. We're in Christ. We're joined to Christ. We live in Christ. The idea here is that we've got this debt in our account. We've got an account. It's in the red. It's in debt. It's, it's a debt we could never, ever repay. It's like a, it's an impossible debt. Even if we were to do lots of good things, even if we were to make as much money as we could, we could never, ever cancel that debt or pay that debt, Right? And you speak to Muslims till today, an honest Muslim, and many other religions are similar, an honest Muslim will never say to you, I'm definitely going to be in paradise one day. I know I've made it. I know I'm going to get there. I know, you know, I, I, they'll never say that. They'll say, I hope that the good in my life outweighed the bad. I hope I make it. Because it's all about works and, and how much, what's my account? Is it in the red or is it in the black? Is it in debt or is it in credit? And in Christ's account is this infinite credit. It's like the riches of glory and perfection for eternity. Righteousness and obedience in Christ's account is everything. And it's like God goes, okay, on the cross, what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the identity number and the name on those accounts. I'm going to switch it around. And you're going to get Christ's account and he's going to get yours. And that's going to be your portion and your position forever. Sunday Seaway says amen and says that's a good thing. That's going to be your portion and position forever. Come on. You know, I know you've heard this. I know you believe this. Do you believe it every day for your life? Do you live like this? Is this what how you just, is this just what flows out of you? Because this is what you're filling yourself with. This is what you're preaching to yourself. Okay, so that's, that's what it means to be in Christ. It's this exchange that happens. Now, where did Paul get this concept? Probably he got it from Jesus' teaching. And probably the best teaching I think I can find on this is in John 15. So I just want to read a few verses from John 15. Because this is where Jesus talks about. So if Jesus were to explain what it is to be in Christ, he would probably say, let's talk about a vine. And let's talk about branches. And let's talk about how those are connected, right? Okay. Because his picture was not just some sort of legal mindset, like I now count you as in Christ. His picture was a very practical, real, you are joined together. And, and the life of Jesus is flowing in you because you are in him. And, and as Christians, we're constantly going, it's not me alone, a stick in the ground, trying to bear fruit, but I am plugging myself into Jesus. I, I can do nothing without Jesus. Okay, so let's just read that very quickly. It says, abide in me, and I in you. Good word, abide in me, in Christ. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. 
Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do not even a little bit, nothing, nothing. Apart from Jesus, even the good things we do are still tainted with evil and evil motives and selfishness and sin and stuff. Apart from me, I can bear no fruit. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So Jesus' description of being in Christ is this picture of a vine. He says, don't, you know, and it's very anti-humanism. Humanism today, which is most of the world's religion, I reckon, in some shape or form, is, is I am, I am great. I am awesome. If I can just discover who I am, find who I am, believe in who I am and who we are as the human race, we can save ourselves, we can renew the planet, we can make things awesome. Jesus' message is totally against this. Jesus' message is you can do absolutely nothing, not even the smallest bit of fruit without me. You're nothing in yourself. Your whole design and creation was to ever live in communion and fellowship and plugged into the vine who is Jesus. That's, That's it. You can do nothing by yourself. It's, it's actually a very offensive message for people today. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're going like, what? Come on, all I've achieved, all I've performed, all I've done. Are you saying that means nothing in the big scheme of things? Yeah. <laughs> totally. You are a loser. <laughs> okay, that's your identity when you're outside of Christ. <laughs> Can we get an amen? (laughs) We got to know that. The message here is not you're awesome, you need to find out and, you know, discover yourself. The message is you are a total loser. By yourself, you're a stick in the ground with no roots trying to pop fruit. It can't happen. You've been designed to be plugged into Jesus. So this is not just positional. When I say you are in Christ, I'm not just talking about a state of mind or a theological concept. I'm talking about you're united with the very life and power and love and presence of the living God, Jesus. Do you know that? Do you count on that? Do you take up your position in that when you're facing stuff? You see, a lot of the, the popular songs today would be, you know, you say, I am strong when... I feel weak. No, no, Jesus doesn't say you're strong. Jesus says you're, you're weak, but in me, you're strong. So that song would be better if you said, you say I am strong in you when I feel weak. You know what I mean? That would be more theologically correct, might not help the tune. But, <laughs> but actually, we got to watch out because so much, even Christian songs are all about like how amazing you are. No, no, in Christ, yes. Outside, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've got to be careful of that. So listen, uh, so this is who you are outside of Christ. Just let's, can we just make sure you know who you are outside of being in Christ? Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 5. This is what it says. This is what makes the gospel good news. You kind of need to know the bad news before you can really celebrate the good news. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sin. He's talking about who they once were outside of Christ. So they were, first of all, dead, okay? Not struggling not sinking, not, you know, going on a downward spiral. No, no, dead. 
Sin, sin has made us spiritually dead, unable to ever resurrect ourselves and have faith in Christ. We're dead. We need Him to rescue us from death. Okay. So we were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following what? The course of this world. So we were actually, we thought we were all like hipster and unique and awesome and going against the grain and the flow. No, no, no. You're just following the course of this world. Led, us, led along by the by world and its ways. Following the world, but not only the world, following the prince of the power of the air. Following Satan. Like outside of Christ, you, you might say, well, I follow no one. I follow myself. It's all about me. No, no. You're following the devil. And he's lying to you subtly, whether you know it or not. You're, you're in his grip and in his lies and in his deceit. And, and, and it's only going to probably get worse. Even if he tries to make it sound okay. You meet some very deceived people nowadays. Desperately grasping at straws. But actually they just... Following the power of the prince of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience... Verse 3, among whom you once lived, in the passion of your flesh. So we were actually just in the passions of our flesh. Our flesh was just ruling us. These desires in us just had their control over us. We were slaves of that. Okay, so we're slaves of flesh. So we, we're, we're, we're dead. We're following the world. We're following the Satan. We're led around by our flesh. This is our identity so far. Not very cool. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You And you were, and this is the worst of all, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Other virgins will say you were an object of wrath. In other words, when it comes to God, we weren't, you know, maybe just not cutting it. No, no, no. You were an object of his wrath. The only thing you deserved was the fullness of the wrath of God poured out on you because of your rebellion and sin. That was your identity. If you are not in Christ today, that is your identity. He doesn't want that for you. No way. He, he paid everything so that would not be your identity, but that's who you are right now if you're not in Him. It's not about at community. We had big discussions at our comm group on, on Wednesday night, and people were talking about, you know, I need to just live better. I need to be better. I need to try harder. I want to just you know, and, and everything in me was just screaming out, you can never do it by yourself. You'll never be good enough. You just, you, you need to recognize that you'll never cut it and you need to be recreated on the inside, supernaturally reborn with new desires for him and to be like him because you're in him. Okay. And then it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in your trespasses, he made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Isn't that amazing? Once again, guys, popular songs, I've, I've heard songs recently talking about how, you know, he, he paid blood for you to show you how much you were worth. And everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. I always knew I had so much value and worth and dignity. I always thought I was so great. And now he finally showed me by paying blood for me and, and I'm worth more than all the riches in the universe. No, 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 no. It says he did this to show his mercy, not to show your value and worth. Afterwards, he gave you worth by placing you into his son. Before, actually you were an object of wrath. A stick in the ground trying to produce fruit by yourself. Yes, all humanity has something 
of dignity and value. Of course, given because you've, you've, you, out of all creation, you were created in the likeness of God. And so there is an inherent value and worth, whoever you are. Whatever you're doing, however messed up or sinful your life is, whoever you are, yes, there is something of an inherent worth. Please, we're, we're not to go out there, you know, bashing people and telling them that they're objects of wrath. That would be very wrong, okay? Because there is worth there. But, 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 but actually, spiritually speaking, we're dead. And it's not our value. It's not to show us our worth. No, no, it's, it's because of His great mercy and His great love. Okay, Cool. Are you getting this? So this is all about being in Christ. So I just want to look at a few verses of who are we in Christ? What, what, there's many of them. Like I said, over 200. We're not going to go into all of them. But in Ephesians, there's this great scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, which talk about who we are in Christ. So let's just, let's just turn there and, um, and see what Paul has to say. Now, okay, I'll get into that. Okay, Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Listen to this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy, to the saints, I like that, good, I'm glad they used that, to the saints or to his holy people, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul, writing to this church, he, he, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is all about just who you are, who you are in Christ, who you are in God's family, um, who you are as Gentiles and Jews joined together to be God's family. It's all about who you are. It's declarations of who you are. The last three chapters of Ephesians, the next three, chapter four to six, is all about now how do we behave? Now Paul was amazing because he, he would always go back to who you are first. Most of the time, even to a, in the letter to the Corinthians, where the Corinthians were messing up massively and sinning and, you know, having sex with everyone they're not supposed to and, like, just really just real issues, okay? Even in that book where he's got to come down hard on them and rebuke them, he starts off with saints, beloved. This is who you are in Christ. He wants to reaffirm their identity because he knows that as a pastor or preacher, the worst thing for me to do is just to come up here and say, guys, we need to do better. Guys, we need to be more devoted. Guys, we need to love more. Guys, we need to sort out our issues with one another. Guys, we need to be more pure. Guys, we need to reach the lost more. Guys, we need to have more passion in our worship. Guys, and I'm telling you, it's very tempting to do that a lot of the time. And I probably have. But every now and then, that's why I want to go back and clarify this and say, no, 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 let's first declare who you are in Christ, and then we're going to get to that stuff. Oh, no, no, we're not just going to like sit back and relax, look who I am in Christ. In fact, if that's what you're doing, you've got no understanding of it at all. Then you missed it completely. Maybe you're not a new creation there. Something's going to happen. But we need to know who we are first. Okay, does that make sense? So he says to God's holy people or to God's saints who are faithful in Christ. I love this. When you sign up for 412, you got to fill in there. Are you a saint or a deacon or an elder? And we have some people from other churches and church backgrounds and especially Catholic backgrounds. They're like, a saint? I'm not a deacon. I'm not an elder, but I'm definitely not a saint, you know. Saint George or, you know, like Saint Clare. No, 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 no. I don't feel like I'm a saint. But actually, that's what the Bible uses for every one of us, because it means someone that's holy, someone that's set apart, someone that's been taken out of the world and set apart for a holy purpose to God. I am a saint. Can we all just say this? In Christ, I am a saint. 
Uh, we're not just sinners saved by grace. You know that little phrase, like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that, I understand that, and in one sense, yes, you know, if it weren't for grace, we would just be sinners. But I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. When you read the New Testament, it's all about, I'm a saint now. Now I'm going to act like one, because I can't help it, because that's natural. That's what I want to do. Everything else is unnatural and leads to an identity crisis. Okay. But then I love this. It says, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The faithful. So in Christ Jesus, I am faithful. This is a big one. There's a lot of people here. I can guarantee there's people here sitting here today going, I am not faithful. I am unfaithful. I'm unfaithful in my marriage. I'm unfaithful in my vows to God. I'm unfaithful in the way I parent and to my kids. I'm unfaithful in my work. I, I'm unfaithful in how I try to do better all the time. I'm unfaithful because I've stood up here and I've repented and then I've gone back and I've just messed up again. I, I actually think I'm just unfaithful. Here's the good news. Christ was completely faithful, absolutely faithful in everything, persevering, absolutely obeying and submitting to God perfectly. And you've been put into him. You can be faithful. You are faithful. Every now and then you might kind of relapse, but you are faithful. Say, in Christ, I am faithful. In Christ, I am faithful. Come on. What are you saying about yourself? What are you speaking over yourself? What are you, I'm just, I just mess up every time. I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to backslide. I'm always going to, I've been around this mountain before. I'm probably just going to do it again. No, no, no. In Christ, I am faithful. He's confident of this, guys. Philippians 1 verse, verse 1 or verse 6, let's just jump to verse 6. Philippians 1 verse 6, it says, and I'm sure of this. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I love Jude. Jude writes to this, this letter to this church. He's like, guys, there's all sorts of like false doctrines among you. There's people preaching the wrong thing. They want you to just sin. They want you to just believe that God's grace is a license to do just whatever you want. And Jude writes this letter to them. But at the end of the letter, This is his praise. This is his doxology that he just sings out to God. He says, now to him who is able, verse 24, Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior. Okay, that's still Philippians. Um, To the only, just listen, to the only God, our savior, be glory and dominion, all of that. He says he is able to present you blameless on that day. He's just written about how they can fall away, how they can be deceived. You know, these creeps that are amongst you, creeping into your ranks and deceiving you. He's just written about all of that. But then he says, oh, to him who's able. Why? Because we're in Christ. We can be faithful to the end, persevere to the end. Do you see that for yourself? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to persevere to the end. I'm going to be more and more like Jesus every day and every year. Something's going to change because I'm in him. Okay. Come on. So then, and then he goes on. Okay, let's just read Ephesians chapter 1 verse, let's just jump to verse 3. It says, praise be to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, in the heavenly places. Okay, so this, he starts out by just saying, you are so blessed. Now, here's the deal, guys. Paul's writing from prison in Rome, where he's been for a while, amongst many other things that have happened. 
he starts this letter to the Ephesians. Now, if, you know, if you read verse 1 to like 11, it's all one sentence in the Greek. Those of you who Greek lovers or whatever, it's like he, he's so excited he doesn't have time for punctuation. You know, some of you guys, you, that would never apply to you. You're like, oh, how can you not have time for correct punctuation? You know, it's like, no, no, no. He, he's so excited. So instead, he's writing from prison. Instead of going like, guys, this is what I'm going through. This is what's happening in my life. Like, you know, feel sorry for me a little bit. I'm going to act like the hero um, a little bit. And I'm going to get some sympathy and some kind of honor from you guys. Like most of us probably would just happen to mention where we're actually at and what we're having to suffer through and persevere through. No, no, no. He's so filled with who he is in Christ. He's like, I just want to talk about the blessings I have. Who, who does that? What kind of freak is this? You know what I mean? This is a freak who knows he's in Christ because he's just going, this is the blessings I have. He's just overflowing with it to the point of not even punctuating his sentences. How dare he? It's beautiful, guys. And so, and the first, so what he starts off with is we are blessed. We are blessed. And I'm going to list all the spiritual blessings is what he's going to go on to do. In Christ, we are blessed. In other words, um, all the blessing, everything that applies to Jesus, all the blessings that apply to Jesus apply to us. And it's spiritual blessings. Yeah, sometimes it's going to include physical blessings. But physical blessings are transient and only last so long because this world is only going to last so long. And so our blessings are actually better because they're spiritual blessings. They're eternal blessings. They're going to go on forever and ever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth with an immortal renewed body like his. They're going to go on forever and ever. Our blessings are there. They're, they're much more solid and significant than any temporary blessing. And so, like I said last week, if the, you know, you found the, the, Aladdin's magic lamp and and you started rubbing it and the genie came out and said, you know, what's your three wishes? And some of you have dreamed of this over the years, you know. Some of you found your identity in this when you were younger. And maybe it was a very real possibility that this might happen for you. And so you thought long and hard about what you would pick. And when you learned that you weren't allowed to wish for more wishes and all of that, then you started wishing for incredible riches and flying and pleasure and I don't know, whatever it is. Here's the deal, guys. In Christ, we've got actually better than we could ever wish for. We've got relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We, we have perfect union with Him forever. The one who is all powerful, all wise, all good, greater than any genie in a bottle. We've got perfect relationship with him. And he doesn't just say, hey, you're my enemy that now is my friend. He says, hey, you're a slave that's now my son. You're in my household. I'm your dad forever. So we've got perfect blessing. And and this is why Paul, he's aware of that. So he's just overflowing with this, whether he's in prison or not. He's just like, you know, some of us, if we come here on a bad Sunday, we stand at the back and we don't even want to worship because we're like, oh, no, no, no. Paul's like, listen, there is always reason to praise, always reason to worship. Just, just remind yourself, preach it to yourself, know this stuff. You think I'm being fake when every week I'm up here jumping and dancing around and I'm, I'm not, I mean, maybe one day I will be at the back there and deceived and, and depressed or whatever it is. Maybe, I'm, I'm, please, I'm not trying to point fingers at guys, but I'm, I'm here because this is what I'm trying to fill myself with. 
So I feel like no matter what's happening, I've always got reason to worship and praise because I've got more than I could ever deserve and it's the greatest thing that I could ever have. I am blessed. I am blessed. Say, in Christ. I am blessed. In Christ. I am blessed. One day some of you are going to say that and you're going to smile. It's going to be amazing. The revelation is just going to drop. Boom. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I am not in lack. I am not in poverty. I am not unnoticed. I am not overlooked. I am not constantly in crisis. I am not overwhelmed. I am not drowning. I am not all these things. I am not just depressed. I am not just diseased. I am not all these things. I am blessed. I am blessed. It's a spiritual eternal blessing. This, this life, I might wrestle with some of that stuff. But I've got something that's going to outlast it, outweigh it all forever. Okay. Then it says, verse. let's just jump down to verse, um, where are we? The next one. <laughs> there we go, four. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's good news that we we're chosen before the foundation of the world. Not when he kind of saw if we were going to be good or bad or, you know, which parents we belong to or which area we were born in. Like, no, no, he chose us before the creation of the world. That takes the pressure off a bit. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing me before I did anything. Okay, that's awesome. Before the foundation of the world, that should be, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, next one is, basically what I want to just say is, in him, we're chosen to be holy and blameless. In Christ, I am holy and blameless. Some of you are like, you don't know what I did this week. I definitely don't feel holy and blameless. Jesus is. He's holy. He's blameless. He's perfectly righteous. And like I said earlier, thankfully we don't just get some nice new robes of our own that hopefully we won't mess up, which we probably would within the first five minutes. You know, nice new robes, thanks a lot. No, 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 we get his righteousness. We get his robes. We get to be placed in him. In him, I am holy and blameless. And now 1 John is very clear. Anyone who says that they have no sin is is deceived. Uh, No, of course, we still sin. Of course, we still mess up. Of course, we're still in these bodies that are going to die. They're still... They're still going to sin, and there's still the presence of sin is all around us. Of course, we're, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. But when we do, we've got someone who's faithful and just to forgive us as our atoning sacrifice, the Bible says. He's faithful and just to forgive and to restore us to knowing that I, in him I am holy and I am blessed. And so this doesn't mean you don't have to repent. It doesn't mean you don't have to be sorry. It doesn't mean you don't have to cry out for mercy because relationally we've got to restore our relationship with God all the time. Okay, I'm not talking about walking around like I can do anything I want because I'm just holy and blessed. Once again, you've missed it completely if that's it. But if you start to see that you're in Christ, holy and blameless, you're just going to want to be holy and blameless. You're going to want to. Uh, I mean, I just want to go down a quick little tangent here, guys. This is just so such good news. Some of you grew up with dads. <laughs> that is good. Some of you, you know, maybe for you it wasn't good, though, because you didn't know what to expect when dad came home. Uh, what mood's he going to be in? 
Have I done anything to, I don't even know, maybe I've disappointed him, maybe I've done something wrong, maybe he's going to see something. Maybe he's just had a bad day, maybe he's just lost some money, maybe he's just had a big fight with mom or with granddad. And I, I don't know what mood he's going to be in, I don't know what to expect. Sometimes it's like I'm just the apple of his eye and it's so beautiful and he buys me stuff. Sometimes it's just distant and cold, sometimes it's actually just anger and temp- temp- temper tantrums. I don't know what I don't know what to expect. What's cuz cuz there's this built up wrath that might at any moment explode on me. And so I I feel like this inconsistency the whole time that I'm afraid of. Because we're holy and blameless before him. We never have to worry about coming into his presence. And the fact that he's going to smile and he's going to love us. Because here's the deal. You see, in the Old Testament, there's this, there's this cup that describes the wrath of God. God's wrath is described as a cup which is being filled up until it brims over. And every now and then, he says, now that's it. You as a nation, Israel, will drink the cup of my wrath. I'm going to hand you over to your enemies. You're going to go into Babylon. I'm, uh, you're going to drink the cup of my wrath until you repent. Or Babylon, you're going to drink the cup of my wrath until you repent. And there's this imagery of the cup of wrath, which belongs to those who are wicked. Now, that's me. Ephesians 2 verse 1, we just read about who we are. That's me. I'm, I'm an object of wrath outside of Jesus. I deserve to drink the cup of his wrath to the dregs. Psalm 75 says, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out. And all the earth, the wicked of the earth, shall drain it to it, the dregs. You read about this in the New Testament. In Revelation 14, the Bible talks about the same cup of wrath that is still left for those that are outside of Christ. There's, a, there's still a cup of wrath that's going to come on this world one day. Another angel, a third, followed him saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and the image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hands, in other words, if anyone sides with the world and the world's ways, if anyone's defined by that instead of choosing Jesus, He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commands of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, come on, endure through anything, because that's what awaits those who reject him. That's what awaits those who rebel. That's what awaits those who say, I'm going to go with the world's ways. We're living in that time, by the way, side note, where more and more, in many ways, the mark of the world and of the beast is getting offered to us. It's going to give you wealth, riches. It's going to give you, you know, fame and favor in the world. Okay, that's a, that's a side note. But the, the point here is there's a cup of wrath. When Jesus had offered a cup to his disciples, he said, I've got, I've got a cup of wine for you. The wine you're going to drink is the new covenant. It's forgiveness. It's the cup of forgiveness. I want to offer this to you. And they drank it and they received this beautiful covenant. 
But the only reason they could drink it and receive this beautiful covenant, because just after this, Jesus was in a garden. And he was sweating blood on his knees, you know, blood vessels popping in his head because of the incredible stress he was under. Why was he under incredible stress? Because of this, because of what he said. He said, Father, please remove this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew that at the cross, he was about to drink the cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's wrath that should have been poured out on you, should have been poured out on me. He was going to drink it to the dregs. So that there would be no more wrath left for us. No more wrath left for us. There's discipline. There's correction. But it's always in love. There's standing before a father. But it's always knowing that we will receive love. Always. And so there's, Paul, Paul would write and the Hebrew writers would write and they would say, you know, with full assurance. Come before the throne of grace. Because here's the deal, guys. You see, because some of us don't know this, when we're feeling weak, when we're stuck in our sin, when we're messing up, the very last thing we want to do is come to church and worship. The last thing we want to do is have a quiet time. The last thing we want to do is, is be face-to-face with our Father. Because there's something messed up in our minds which says, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't want to be near him. You're going to get just disappointment and anger and wrath and just stay as far away as possible. Go find a fig leaf. Go find a tree. Go find a bush and go hide. Because of this, because there's no more wrath left, because Jesus drank it all on our behalf, we can with confidence approach the throne of grace and receive help in our time of need. You see, the very time of need, that's when he says, come to me all the more. With my kids, man, when they're struggling, when they're messing up, when they're fighting, like as if I'm anything like a good father, I'm going to get even more involved. I'm going to come closer. I'm going to pull them closer. I'm going to, I'm going to help them because I realize that they're weak and they're struggling and they're messing up and, they're, and I'm a dad and I want to pull them close. And I try, and I, most of the time I get it right. Some of you grew up with dads that didn't get that right. And that's why you struggle to see this. Guys, it doesn't matter what your dad was like. You got a dad who's perfect. Who has no more wrath left and will treat you in unfailing love. Steadfast love. Forever because of this. Because you're holy and blameless because of this great exchange that has happened. Okay. Wow, I better wrap up. I think we're itching to worship anyway. Oh. Once again, please. This is not just positional. It's not just I'm holy and blessed. No, no. It's going to be practical. I'm going to want to be who I am. I'm going to want to get it right. And the more we realize this, the more you like, I don't want to throw, you know, wine onto my $10,000 suit. No one would do this. No, no, no. We're dressed in the clothes of Jesus. We, we're in him. The more we know that, the more you just don't want to go back to that stuff. And actually, your very desires change. You want what's holy and pure. And when you get what's holy and pure, it feels right because it feels natural because that's who you are. And whenever you go for what's not, even though in the moment it might feel like pleasure, there's something about it that's so wrong, it's so inconsistent, it's so paradoxical to who you actually are. Okay, and then he goes on and I'll just mention these two things because they're just so good and then we'll end. So then he says, verse next verse, whatever that is. No, no, 
yeah, after that next Ephesians verse. Then he says in Ephesians 1 verse, yeah, okay. There, verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. One of the blessings we've got, probably the greatest blessing, guys, that we have in Christ is that we too are now sons, daughters of the living God. Honestly, this is, this is one of the greatest blessings we have. I, I can't explain this enough. Jesus, when he was here, so much of his ministry was spent trying to convince people that they can relate to God as their father. Apparently, about 14 times in the Old Testament, God is mentioned as a father. And, but all of them are kind of generalized. You know, I'm the father of a whole nation. So when Jesus showed up and he was just interacting with his father and talking about his father and telling his disciples to pray to the father, this was revolutionary. It sounded blasphemous to, to the Jews because they knew God as Yahweh, the holy God. You can't even mention his name, which he is. He is holy. But Jesus came because he said, listen, it's not enough to just have that revelation of God. You need to know him as your dad. So when you pray, pray, dad in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you pray, talk to your father, talk to your dad. You see, some of you, when you pray, you have no problem praying to Jesus because Jesus is your big brother and Jesus is awesome. And Jesus, you know, died on your behalf. And Jesus, you know, he faced everything you faced. And so he understands your weakness. So I can pray to Jesus. Some of you, when you pray, you've got no problem. Holy Spirit, because Holy Spirit, he's like, he's the paraclete. He's the helper. He's alongside me. He, he helps me. He loves me. He leads me into truth. He's kind of almost like this faithful, beautiful mom to me. But because of however you grew up, actually you really struggle when you pray to just talk to your dad. Jesus is like, please talk to your dad all the time. Like, you can talk to me as well. You can talk to the Holy Spirit. Talk to your dad. Let your mind be transformed by that. Let that be your primary way of interacting with God is you're my father, you're my dad. Is that hitting a chord with some of you? Are some of you going, oh, I don't really pray like that. Well, then you probably don't know how beautiful this thing of adoption is and how the father wants to treat you when jesus jesus would say in john 16 he says in that day you will ask nothing of me truly whatever you ask the father in my name will be given to you until now you've asked nothing in my name ask you will receive that your joy may be full he's, he's basically saying listen you can approach the father in me you can you're, you can, you can with full confidence come before your dad and talk directly to him Ah, oh, that's just so massive. I can't even expl- explore everything. The one thing I just want to say is, he's not like a dad. He is a dad. He is a dad. So it doesn't matter who your dad was. He wants to show you a perfect dad. And that's going to be your forever dad. Okay, and then the last one I'll mention, the scripture, talks about this forgiveness and redemption that we have. It says, Howie, why didn't you come out and worship team come out so long? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. No, 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 no. Sorry. That's, let's just go with, um, it's still chapter 1, verse probably 6 or 7, somewhere around there. Yeah, there. Um, according to his will. Yeah, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. These are all big words and they can throw us off at first, but we have redemption 
and we have forgiveness. In Christ, I am redeemed. In Christ, I am forgiven. Okay? Now, what this is talking about here is, is our sin is not only washed off of us, washed clean, but it is no longer our slave master. It no longer has power over us. To be redeemed means I'm set free. I'm not under the power of that anymore. So I'm not just forgiven of my sin. He doesn't just cover over my sin. He doesn't just say, hey, by my blood, I'm able to pronounce forgiveness. But he says that sin that held power over you, that power is now broken. And the pictures of Israel, you know, Israel and, and the Egyptians, they, the angel of death is passing over Egypt and it's striking down every firstborn Egyptian, but it's not striking down every firstborn Israelite for one reason, not because Israel's better than the Egyptians, but because Israel has the blood on the doorpost. And so the blood's on the doorpost and it's put onto the one side of the doorpost, put onto the other side of the doorpost, and it's put onto the top lintel of the doorpost, dripping down, forming this beautiful shape of the cross in blood over their doorposts. And because of that, they don't receive the same death penalty. And most of us as Christians, we know that. We don't receive the death penalty because he's forgiven us. But it doesn't stop there. We're also redeemed because after this, Israel gets, they leave Egypt and they run into the wilderness, but their identity is still, we're slaves. And when they see their old slave drivers and slave masters coming after them to crush them and destroy them and put them back in slavery, they freak out because their identity is, I'm a slave and here comes, here they come. They're going to make me a slave again because that's who I am. And God says, okay, no, 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 I'm going to sort this out. And he comes like a flame in between the, the, the Israelites and the Egyptians. And he says, Moses, lift your hand over the, the Dead Sea. Lift your staff over the, over the Red Sea, I mean. And the waters part and Israel goes through and all the slave masters follow, you know. You know the story. And then God closes the, the water and he crushes and he drowns and he destroys all of their old slave masters. In Christ... We are not only forgiven, we are redeemed. I am set free of those addictions. I am set free of that pull and that desire and that lust. I am set free of my failures of the past. They are no longer have power over me. And Paul goes into great detail in Romans 6 about this. And he says, you've died to sin so that you can be alive to God. Now don't live, live, don't offer your members anymore to to be slaves to unrighteousness. He says, from now on, you've got a choice. You can either offer yourself in slavery or you can walk in freedom because that's who you are. So when we sin, it's not because I just can't help it. No, no, it's because I choose to give myself to that because I am set free. It's who I am. Say, in Christ, I am forgiven. And now picture those old slave masters. Some of them are not even old. They're like this last week. They're this morning maybe. In Christ, I am redeemed. In Christ, I am redeemed. Paul's going to go on in Ephesians chapter 4 and he's going to say, Listen, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. He's going to say, now go and be who you are. And let me talk about that. Go and love like me. Go and, you know, forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Loved people love. Holy people be holy. 
adopted people go and bring others into family. Go be who you are now. Uh, this is not just for you. It's not just so you can feel good on a Sunday morning and have a reason to worship. No, no, no. Go be who you are for the, the rest of your life. Live in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. So I'm not... But the point of what I'm trying to say today is, guys, He's declared something over us, first of all, of who we are in Him. Who we are in Him. Not good and strong and amazing on our, by ourselves, but in Him.